happy Mama's Day. This is the first Mother's Day I'm by myself. My wife went to visit uh, family in, Minis in Minnesota. So I'm, I'm, I'm singing that song, Lonely, I miss her lonely. You know that song? I have nobody. Oh, here we go. I do, but she's not here. Well, save me about 50 bucks going to dinner. Actually, what I'm going to, what, 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 what I'm, what I, so, so what are you going to do today? I'm cutting the grass. I clean the house. Watch a war movie. That's what I'm going to do for Mother's Day. Yeah. Mother's Day, it's a, this is a tough day for a lot of people. You know, like, like my mom is, 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 is not with us anymore. She's with the Lord. And, a lot of some, some, some people, their kids can't be with them. They live in other countries or live in other state. And, and some, some women, they'd like to have children, but they can't have children. And uh, some, some ladies, their children, children have actually passed. This is a tough day. It is. But it's still Mother's Day. So we honor mothers. Okay? And I've got a Mother's Day message here. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt Oh, by the way, i got to tell you something. I ran into Spilkes. I ran into Marty Spilkes, and he says, you know, he says, Frank, after the success of their indoor cafes, IKEA, IKEA might start its own string of restaurants. The only problem is you got to put your own table together. If you don't know what Ikea is, it went over your head. Yeah. Okay. So I'm convinced that being a good mother has always really been a tough job. I don't think there's ever been motherhood has not been a tough job. It's tough because, let me tell you, it does cause sleepless nights. Amen, Amen mothers? Amen. Oh, by the way, Celeste, you know, I just happened to notice this, not part of my message. Celeste. You became, Celeste is a teacher, and what, what did they say, what, what award did you win? Teacher of the Year at her school. Yeah. Yeah. Being a teacher is like being a missionary. <laughs> so sleepless nights. It's tough because it brings more of your share of trouble into your life. Motherhood, it's tough because it's something that consists of doing mostly time-consuming, thankless jobs over and over and over again. It's tough because your children do not usually fully appreciate all that you've done for them until they become parents. <laughs> then they realize. There's a, there used to be an old comic strip called Flight Deck. Some of you maybe never read it, but it's called Flight Deck, and Picture this, picture this. In the first picture, it shows a couple of boys talking to their dad about what they're going to give mom for Mother's Day. Second picture, the older boy says, instead of just another bottle of bubble bath for mom this Mother's Day, we're going to give mom a promissory note promising that we'll never cause problems, we'll never fight again, and we're going to be good children for her. 
In the third picture, the data replies, you really expect to keep those promises. In the last picture, <laughs> the younger son begins to think, realizing the impossibility of that promise, and said, Dad, could I borrow some money for a bottle of bubble bath? <laughs> because, of the, because of the maturing process of a child, it seems like it's impossible for kids not to cause problems for a caring mother. And children go through phases. I can't help but to look at some of my kids to the left. Children, <laughs> children go through phases. In the first phase, it's crying nights, late night feedings, poopy diapers, and a major change in lifestyle for mother. Amen? Come on, ladies. In a child's second phase, it's breaking things, spilling stuff, toilet training, biting, hitting, etc., Jackie, why are you laughing? Jackie, you know, when Jackie was a little girl, she was a biter. And you don't want to bite her in the nursery. So I, it's at our old building. So I, I say, Jackie, no biting. What did Daddy say? No biting. And then just before I preach, I go into the nursery, and I say, Jackie, there's no biting. What did Daddy say? No biting. Guess what she did? kept on biting. She was a biter. Did you know that, Anthony? <laughs> it's a family, this is a family church. Have you figured it out yet? It's a family church. In fact, one of our, one of our fa old family members is here. You know Gary Sear? Yeah, raise your hand, Gary. Yeah, see, he actually, he actually helped build this place. I still, I still, I can still see you back there, hanging on to all these wires, hoping that none of them were alive. <laughs> yeah, he was an elder here for many years. Okay, what what phase am I on? Oh yeah, in a child's third phase, it's homework, music lessons, school, and church events, with fundraisers, dealing with integrity issues. In this phase, your child thinks you're a genius. And you know everything. In a child's fourth phase, it's homework, music lessons, practice for a sports team, more fundraisers, youth group meetings, doctor's appointments, dealing with sexual education, and etc. In a child's fifth phase, it's dealing with grade point average, youth meetings, trendy clothes, cell phones, boyfriend, girlfriend issues, and where are you going to get the money for auto insurance? In this phase, it's common for your, your child to lose interest in communicating with you, and they think you're kind of on the stupid side and you're out of touch with their reality. And for mothers who want their children to be committed to the Lord, I believe it's even more difficult. So today for our Mother's Day message, we're going to look at a woman in the Old Covenant. She's a godly model of motherhood. And from her, my hope is that God speaks really to all of our hearts, especially the mothers of our congregation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this, this time when I get to share from your word about motherhood. And God, I pray that this would be um, an uplifting message 
for mothers, and not only for them, but for all of us here. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, I want to talk about Hannah. Hannah, the wife of Elkanah. Now, although there are uh, many wonderful attributes of Hannah's character, today I want to just talk about just one of those attributes, just one attribute, and that attribute is prayer. In 1 Samuel 1, verse 1, I'm going to read this out of the, the uh, paraphrase version because it's just easier to understand. Once, and you know these names, I, I laugh at these old, these old Testament names. I can't help it. They're some funny names. And I'll explain the funniness of them as we go along. There was once a man who lived in Ramathium. He was, he was descended from the old Zoop family. Doesn't Zupa mean something? Soup. I wonder if everybody called him Zupa. Hey, Soup. Hey, Soup. See, that's to me, that's funny. <laughs> Zoop family in Ephraim Hills. His name was Elkanah. He was connected with the Zoops from Ephraim through his father, Jeroham, his grandfather, Elihu, and his great-grandfather, Tohu. I wonder if they call him Tofu. <laughs> he had two wives. The first was Hannah. The second was Penina. Sounds like a restaurant. Penina had children. Hannah did not. Every year, this man went from his hometown up to Shiloh, up to Shiloh. Do you know what Shiloh? Be Shiloh was the, was the place of the tabernacle before the temple was built in Jerusalem. He went up to Shiloh to worship and offer a sacrifice to God of the angel armies. armies. Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, served as the priests of God there. When Elkanah sacrificed, he passed helpings from the sacrificial meat around to his wife, Penina, and all her children. But he always gave an especially generous helping to Hannah because he loved her so much and because God had not given her children. But her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in. Oh, by the way, they were not Mormons. I want you to I'll explain this two-wife business here in a little bit. <clears throat> but their rival wife but her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year every time she went to the sanctuary of God. She could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. Her husband, Elkanah, said, Oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Am I not more worth to you than ten sons? Isn't that just like a guy? Say something like that, Mr. Sensitive. Evidently, Elkanah was a little insensitive to Hannah's situation, or he was a terrible joker. One of those two things. Now, if you're one of those who think uh, that a godly person will never have any problems, you've swallowed the Kool-Aid from the devil. Because Jesus said in John 16, 33, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 
And this certainly includes trials and sorrows in family matters. All through the Bible, we read of those who, who strive to live for God. And still, every one of them had to face problems. If someone told you, listen, when you, when, when you, when you become a disciple of Christ, your problems are gone. Don't believe it. In this world, you got all kinds of problems. Right, Tim? All kinds of problems. All kinds. They come from all different angles. Problems. Today we're going to examine the problem of Hannah and discover one of her many godly attributes. In 1 Samuel 1, verse 2, we learned that Elkanah had two wives. Why? Why did he have two wives? Because his first wife was barren, and don't forget, this was an ancient time when one of the main purposes of having a wife was to provide children for economic purposes. In 1 Samuel 1, verse 2, he had two wives. The first was Hannah. The second was Penina. Penina had children. Hannah did not. Not only was Hannah not able to have children, she also probably had to endure the hurtful ridicule of the other woman, Penina. Month after month, year after year, and especially on their journey to the tabernacle in Shiloh. 1 Samuel 1.6 says, But her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in, and never letting her forget that God had given her children. This went on year after year. Every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. I mean, it was vexing her spirit in such a way she just had no, she just couldn't even eat. So you could picture interactions like this. Oh, Hannah, would you help me with my, ch- with my children? You know, God has blessed me with so many children. Can you help me with, all, with my children? Or, oh, Hannah, since you have no kids of your own, would you mind helping me change a diaper? That is, if you know how to change a diaper. And this went on year after year, and I'm sure Hannah must have had feelings of inadequacy, defect, and even failure. And I would guess that Hannah might even have had struggled with bits of depression. And so she asked the question like, Lord, what are you doing with me? Why can't I have children? What's my purpose in life? I'm sure there might be women here facing a huge problem. And you might be asking God similar questions like, Lord, what are you doing with me? Why am I so unhappy with what's going on in my life right now? Lord, what's my purpose in life? Where do I fit in? And you might be thinking, I must not be good enough, or I must not be godly enough in the eyes of God, since all this is happening to me. This must be my fault. Oh, if I would only be more righteous in God's eyes. Come on, come on. God loves you. God has always loved you. And God will continue to love you. He's all, just, because you be, just because you become a, a disciple of Christ doesn't mean he's going to 
love you more. Okay? God so loved the world. You know, there is something called the law of sowing and reaping, which means today you are reaping what you sowed in the past. And yes, I believe with all my heart, selfish, self-centered women usually do not make good mothers. How in the world can you? Motherhood. You give up so much with motherhood. I mean, do you not? Come on, ladies. I know. I've watched my wife. You know, we have four kids. Eleven grandchildren, one great-grandchild, two dogs. On my phone, I got a picture of my wife. On her phone, she's got a picture of her dogs. <laughs> but there is a law of sowing and reaping. It's like, like the person comes to me and says, must be the devil. Must be the devil. I had two flat tires this week. Must be the devil. So how many miles you got on those tires? About 80,000 miles. What are they worn keep for? 35? <laughs> it's not the devil. It's just law of sowing and reaping. But listen, to be a godly woman or a godly mother does not mean that you're not going to have problems. In this life, you will have many problems. And you're going to have to face, you, don't, you really don't have to face these problems alone. Because you need to know that your God is with you. A God who loves you. A God who hears your prayers. Mothers, m- mothers pray a lot. Mothers pray a lot. And let me tell you something. When your kids leave the home, It's worse. It's worse. I can't tell. Joe. You're staying in your bedroom. Give me the car keys. You can't do that. He's a man. You can't do that. You pray for you. still pray for your children. And you support them best you can. And you pray for them all the time. Is there a parent here who would not agree with me? Any grandparents here would not agree with me? You pray for your children all the time? Not only that, but you end up praying for their children, which happens to be your grandchildren. Well, Frank, what am I to do in those moments when my problem hits me between the eyes Worse yet, when a problem hits me in the back, and I didn't even see it coming. Let's see what Hannah did. 1 Samuel 1, verse 9. So Hannah ate. Then she pulled herself together, slipped away quietly, and entered the sanctuary. The priest Eli was on duty at the entrance to God's temple in the customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God, and cried and cried. Do you see the picture? She's crushed in soul. She's just devastated. And she's praying. Then she made a vow. O oh God of the angel armies, if you will take a good hard look at my pain, if you will quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a, a son, 
I'll give them completely, unreversibly to you, and I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. So it happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart, silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. Eli jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. He approached her and said, you're drunk. How long do you plan on keeping this up? Sober up, woman. Hannah said, oh, no, sir, please. I'm a woman hard used. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart, pouring it out to God. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here so long. So she's, she's, she's praying. She's praying, and she, she's confessing the fact that she's, she's praying, she's talking to God, even though she has all this pain in her heart. My point is this. Here's my point. A godly woman prays. A godly woman prays. A godly woman prays. Would you agree with me that Hannah had a problem that was causing her pain, anguish, and discouragement? Certainly. What did she do? She looked up to God in prayer. Instead of giving up, she looked up. Why is that for most of us? It's not until we're facing problems that we seem to turn to God. Why is that? Why is it that for most of us, first we try to handle our problems by ourselves, and then we turn to God? Why is that? Should it be that way? Okay, I'm going to turn the boat a little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. Would you agree with me that difficult circumstances in our life teach us to persevere. They also help us to mature and rely upon God. Would you agree with me? Okay. James 1, 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this tells me that in the difficult process of maturing in Christ, I will be learning to trust in his lordship more and more. And the benefit of going through the process of maturing in Christ, there's a feeling of contentment. Would you call the Apostle Paul a righteous man? Anybody say he's not a righteous man? He was a righteous man, all right, that he wrote much of the New Testament by the Spirit of God. Think about this. When Paul had his thorn in the flesh, God refused to take it away. He had to live with it. And that's because it was there to help Paul continue to rely upon God. Jesus wanted Paul to know and experience that the grace of God can strengthen him and get him through problems, the problems of life. Listen to Paul's testimony about going through his hardships of what he called a thorn in the flesh. Three, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. He just didn't ask. He begged. 
Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm, then I'm strong. This tells me a benefit for facing our problems is that weaknesses are exposed. And most often, because of the nature of some problems, we have no choice but to turn to God. No choice. And that's the place where Hannah was when she poured out her heart to God. What could she do but to cry out to God in her weakness? Now listen, I don't believe God wants to live a life of unhappiness, disappointments, and suffering through the issues of life. Listen to what Paul wrote the believers of Philippi. This is amazing, what what he wrote them, because of all he went through. And this is good counsel. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying... Pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry in the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say to you, I'd say, You'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly things. Things to praise God, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmony. Can you believe that Paul said that with all he really went through? You know, being whipped and stranded and going without food so much. He talks about the hardships. He wrote this. This tells me God doesn't want us to live A life of worry. He wants us to go to him with our problems. He wants us to trust in his lordship. And when we do that, we will experience a peace. A peace, regardless of the outcome. Regardless. So here's a question. Did Hannah turn away from God and her problems, or did she go to God in prayer? Hannah finally went to the Lord in prayer. That's what she did. And that's what you should do. You should be praying about everything and trusting in the Lordship of Jesus. Everything. It's amazing how things work out. I just had back surgery. Just had back surgery. Had a laminectomy, whatever that is. But I feel it's because I... A couple discs went bad on me, and one of them was pressing against my sciatic nerve. It was 
driving me nuts, so I had that taken care of. So I go to my doctor, okay? I'm not going to give you his name, because I'm hoping he'll be here someday. I go to my, this neurosurgeon who operated on me and for my, my checkup, and he says, I, I suggest you go to a, um, a therapist. Uh, what do you call the guy? That physical therapist. And, and I said, boy, last time I was a physical, I was just joking. I said, last time I was at a physical therapist, I asked him if he got his, his, his training in Auschwitz. He looked at me and said, I've had family die in Auschwitz. I said, you a Jew? He said, well, I was. Now I'm, I converted to Catholicism. I said, I'm a Jew. And we started talking. And I gave him the elevator speech about Beth Messiah, et cetera, et cetera. And as we're walking out, I said, you know, if you weren't my doctor, I, I'd take you out to lunch. He said, well, we could pretend that I'm not your doctor. OK, well, so I, I, I'm going to see him again here shortly. And I'm going to invite him out to lunch and witness to him. It's amazing how God will work things out in the midst. You'd say, where's going to be God in this thing? Look around. You'll find God in every situation. And even when you don't see him in that situation, he's working behind. Because all things work together. Now, if you're not serving God, it's not going to work. I think all things do not work together for good. Only works for those who love him. Who love him. And he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. You can't be out serving the devil six days a week and go around claiming, I love Jesus. Come on now, get real. Here's how, story, here's how Hannah's story ends. Hannah finally gives birth to a son who would be raised to serve in the sanctuary of the Lord. What was his name? Samuel. Samuel. You want to know his real name? Shemuel. Shemuel. That was his Hebrew name. But listen to this ending. This is a great ending. The story is a story of hardship, of taunting, of just a not a good life. But here's how it ends. I love this ending. 1 Samuel 2.18. In the midst of all this, Samuel, a boy dressed in priestly linen tunic, served God. Additionally, every year his mother would make him a little robe cut through his size and bring it to him when she and her husband came for the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, God, give you children to replace this child you have dedicated to God. Then they would go home. Look at verse 21. God was most specially kind to Hannah. She had three more sons and two daughters, the boy Samuel stayed in the sanctuary and grew up with God. What a great ending, isn't it? It's a wonderful ending to a tragic story. Here's a concluding thought, mothers. This is a concluding thought, and I'm going to try to do this with a straight face. Mother of young children, Look at it this way. Be blessed because God is using your children to protect you. 
Mother's Day. So what we have for you, we want to honor the mothers. In fact, thank you, Judy. For Judy does this. She, yeah. And, Kelly. and Kelly, thank you for helping. <coughs> we get the credit. They do all the work. That's called ministry. <laughs> so, if, if so, we, we want to honor you. Now, in the past, we gave, we gave books, we gave this, we gave that, and we did a survey, and the women liked the flowers. So we're back to flowers, okay? Back to flowers. So let me, t let me tell you, if you are a female, and you are 18 years old, whether you have children or not, we'd like you to take home this big pot of flowers, okay? Let's pray for the mothers. Would you all stand, please, if you're a mom? No, guys, you stay down. I'm not praying for you. <laughs> no, there's the mothers, just the mothers. If you're a mom, you're a grandma, you're a great-grandma. Let me tell you, this is a very good church because we have godly women here. You hear what I'm saying? And uh, we know the sacrifice. Now, after this message, Chantel, are you a little nervous about having a kid? <laughs> You're going to go through those phases. Okay. Okay, ask your dad. He'll, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I knew you through some of these phases. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray for these women. I pray for these women of God. Lord, you know the sacrifices that they have made through their life. You know the hardships. You know the ups and downs, the disappointments that they've faced. And God, I pray for them. I pray, just like Hannah, how things worked out. Things worked out. God, I pray you bless them. Bless them, bless them. We so much appreciate them. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now let's all stand together, please. <clears throat> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in your heart, knowing that Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And in those times, those trying times, you can talk to God, and he hears you. In Jesus' name, amen.